Welcome to Nerds of the Roundtable, a podcast on a quest for quality pop culture. I'm Dwayne. I'm Jamie. And I'm Sammy. And on this episode, we are looking at one of my picks. The start of a universe where superheroes exist. I know we had a couple false starts with the X-Men and the Fantastic Four, but Iron Man 2008, John Favreau, Robert Downey Jr., Jeff Bridges, Gwyneth Paltrow, Terrence Howard got this ball rolling that we call the MCU today. So with that being said, let's go ahead and keep it 100. It's time to keep it 100. 100. 100. 100. All right. I'm leading off. Well, I'm talking an awful lot during the beginning of this episode. And I'm not liking it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so this week on my keeping it 100, I have a pick on Netflix. A great family movie, Mitchells versus the Machines. Now, Jamie, I know you guys have just went on a family road trip. These guys go on a family road trip at the very beginning of a robot apocalypse. And this <laughs> is the absolute, like, non-functioning family, everything, you know. A lot of different dynamics. Uh, you kind of have, you know, the little brother seems to be really obsessed with dinosaurs, maybe a little bit on the spectrum. The daughter seems to be a little bit on the LGBTQ side. Mom and dad, you know, just don't get it, trying to work it out, make it happen. She gets accepted into film school. Dad cancels her plane ticket so that they can bond on the way to school and heal the family. Well, on the way there, the Apple subsi- you know, the Apple stand-in for the uh, show updates everyone's devices with robots, and they su- progress to take over the world. And it's it's a great fun movie. Uh, lots of adventure, lots of good feelings and good times. Mitchell's versus the Machines on Netflix. Check it out. Mm, I've heard good things. I, I I've seen it. And I like, I've seen it on, on the list. I like the fact that we're finally, we've gotten past everything being a zombie apocalypse. So at least now we've got a robot apocalypse. So at least it's somebody else controlling us and destroying us. (laughs) And there's some really good voice talent. There's some great voice talent. You have Fred Armistead. um, What's the guy's name? I'm seeing him, but I cannot think of his name right now. But yeah, there's a lot of, Maya Rudolph, I know is the mom. Um, yeah, there's a British lady uh, who's been in quite a few things who is the the AI for PAL, which is kind of the, the I stand-in on this. <laughs> uh, you have a couple defective robots. One of those is voiced by, by Fred Armiston, which is absolutely hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it's on all, it's all my list. I need, I need some space for my family road trip before I can experience another one. Yeah, yeah you might want to space this out a little bit. <laughs> All right. All right, gentlemen. So I guess I am next up, so I'm going to start my timer. So now the summer break is upon me. It's time to get settled in and do some reading. My first outing is actually a book that I believe we mentioned on this podcast. And if I remember correctly, Jamie said it's one of his favorites from this author. And that is Agatha Christie's The Murder of Roger Ackroyd. 
it is such a good story. Dwayne, I believe you listened to the audiobook version of this also. Um, you know, Christy is such a master of using these genteel members of British society in these little hamlets, um, all their traditions, all their courtesy, but they're really, they're just like the rest of us. All they do is gossip. Um, Aykroyd really gives this interesting twist to the classic locked room mystery. Um, you know, I never hold myself up as a, a super analytical thinker. So when the big denouement occurs, it hits me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, how could I not have seen this? You know, kind of deal. Um, it's also a real interesting look at an aging and semi-retired Hercule Poirot. So that was a cool angle I wasn't expecting. So The Murder of Roger Ackroyd was a great choice to kick off my summer reading stint. And that's why it's this week's Keeping a 100. It's a good one. It was a fun one. I You're really, welcome. really enjoyed it. Yes. You, well, you know, both of you guys talk so highly of it. <laughs> and I was at the library one day and I'm like, okay, I'm going to check this book out. I've, I've heard from both my co-hosts. They loved it. So I'm like, this is a good start for my summer reading. So. I'm not sure it's her best, but it is my favorite. It's just an interesting twist yeah. that I've, once I, once it, it came to, you know, to light, I was like, oh, that's cool. So <laughs> I think it's the most unique of her mm. mysteries, like the, the way the setup goes. Agreed. Yeah, yeah it's a different one. Yeah. I like the uh, angle. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, here we go. Um, mine is the uh, it's a weird one, but I, it knocked my socks off. There's a new comic book series called Nuclear Power. Uh, it's an indie series. I think it's only uh, been released being released digitally. Um, it's by a very small team. I think there's only like the people that work on the book are the entire company. Um, but it's called nuclear power and, um, you can get them, I think for 99 cents. I think there's two issues out. They're all on comiXology. Um, but it's a, one of those alternative uh, history type deals. And it takes a very small moment during the Cuban missile crisis. Um, there's a moment where a Russian sub, and this, this actually, this part actually happened. There's a Russian sub who loses contact and they know what's going on, and they think that maybe America's already started, you know, the war. And so they are trying to make the decision where to, whether to fire off their nuclear weapons, and they decide not to. There's one guy on the, on the sub who chooses not to fire those weapons. And it averts, you know, nuclear Armageddon, basically. But the, the whole idea of this theory is he doesn't do that, and the nuclear war starts. And so it's from that moment in the 60s on. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything. Cause I do hope people will find this. It's it's so inexpensive. You should go and get it. That one small moment changes so much of the future. And there's so so many repercussions for for the Cold War. You know, getting becoming a hot war at that moment. It's really intriguing. So far, like I said, only a couple issues out. It's really entertaining. It's very thought provoking. And it kind of it just you know it was an interesting twist. And that's my keeping 100. I love that era. I love that era in uh, U.S. history, you know, where, where you're hovering over the button. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and and even you know when we were in school during the you know mid to late '80s, you know, I hide under the desk. You know, <laughs> these you, yeah. you would have these alarms for, for various things, and yeah, and um, I, I guess I mean easier cleanup. I don't know, but yeah. <laughs> Those it was I love that era, you know, just just yeah. how close we were and how narrowly we missed annihilation so many times. Yeah, but just that, but that, I think one person, yeah. 
But that was the moment, I think, then on all the cold, as far as that we know of, you know, I'm sure there's probably stuff we don't know about. But as far as, far as things we know, that was the closest we came to, right. to a hot nuclear war. And one, one man prevented it. And this whole thing is like, what if he hadn't? Wow. I, it's great. And, you know, what's really cool is, you know, comic books sometimes are misconstrued as always fights and tots, right? And this is a way to tell a graphic story, you know, visually going through history. And, and it just shows what the comic book medium can do. And I think that that's so important when, when people are thinking about comics. Because like the movie we're talking about tonight, most everybody thinks superheroes. You know, and comics can go any direction that the writer wants to, just like prose or, or anything. So, Yeah, that's a common misconception. People think of comics as a genre. It's a medium. You can do any yeah. genre in comics. Anything with it, yeah. Exactly. I mean, look at the MCU, right? I mean, we've had heist movies and horror movies and, you know, Comedies. spy movies and comedies. <laughs> and, yeah. So you can take any genre and kind of mix it in there. So, yeah, that works. Well, Sammy, sounds like you have some thoughts on uh, this genre here, this medium. So why don't you open us out with our opening thoughts and grades? All right. Um, I'm really interested to see where the three of us go with this. You know, when I revisit these early phases of the MCU, you know, it's sometimes difficult to forget about the breadth of storytelling that we have at the point we are now, you know, 12 years in uh should have been a 11, but we got that gap year of 2020. Uh, but so, you know, you forget about all the stuff that came after it's, or it's hard to, you know, Iron Man kicks this off. This establishes Tony Stark as that cornerstone of the MCU. And I'm going to be honest though, this movie still holds up for me. Uh, Downey's characterization of Tony carries through the next 10 years of films. Uh, we see the arc that uh, Stark goes through uh, and actually leads us to that ultimate sacrifice in Endgame. Sorry about spoilers if anybody still hasn't seen that movie. Um, but <laughs> Sorry. Um, and then think about in terms with Tony Stark, he's still influencing the MCU. Look at Phase 4. Sh Shang-Chi, Shang-Chi, whatever. And the Ten Rings. Armor Wars. Even Spider-Man, you know, with a connection to Tony. Um, so this movie really provides that template. Um, it really helped to make the MCU probably one of the best franchises in cinema. And I truly believe that. So my grade based on, I guess, maybe a little nostalgia bump, guys, is A+. Plus. Yeah. Well, I'm up next and I'm going to be the... Uh... First downer of the episode, I guess. Um, it's not a perfect movie. Um, out, outside of the Captain America entries into the MCU, this first movie is probably the one I've rewatched the most. Um, I realized the other day, I've, this is my third watch of the year already. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's an important movie, um, especially for, you know, if you, if you like the capes and the tights or whatever. Uh, it proved that you could make a good movie that was authentically a comic book movie and it still be good. And it doesn't have to be campy. There's no, nobody's winking at the camera um, with maybe one exception. Um, but, but it's so important to a, 
you know, a, a series that I love so much that I'm, I'm just not objective about it. And so like, even as I watch them, I'm going like, you know, that's a flaw. Or I'm like, mm, mm, maybe I should have done that differently. But I just, I can't be completely objective about it. And so like, e- even things that I know, like if I wasn't, you know, a long-term Marvel comics reader, I might've been annoyed by, or wouldn't have loved, or like, I just, I, I don't, I can't see them. I've got, you know, Stan Lee blinders on or something. Um, so I, I just I know I'm not objective about it, but there is one flaw that bothers me enough that I even being completely subjective and you know a, a nerdy fan, I can't give it an A plus. So I'm gonna go at a very unobjective A. Okay. Jamie's got Excelsior in his eyes, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel very much like it, like Jamie with this, this, this isn't a movie I can be objective about. This isn't something I can step back and look at it with a clinical uh, vision. And I'm, and I'll tell you, my grade was all over the place. I was uh, probably, you know, I, I, I probably went, you know, B plus all the way to a plus at different times uh, because it's not, there are those flaws or are these holes in it or these things that could have been done differently, better, cheeky cheesy stuff you know that just doesn't make any sense in the movie uh no but you know this is i, I guess a lot of people consider this a return of robert downey jr you know he he'd kind of been in some things before he's been he was coming back from a really dark place but his embodiment of tony stark was so perfect for this role his his view there and this you know launched the universe you know that has consumed us for the last you know 13 years you know uh so i'm i'm with jamie i'm going a solid a it's it's not perfect um but it's it's a solid a as far as nostalgia as far as the enjoyment for watching it you know anytime it's on i'll sit down and watch it anytime i'm having a hard time deciding what to watch i can throw this on and know i'm in at least for some eye candy yep yeah so that's 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 i think a very you know good view of this movie it's not perfect but you know it's 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 started such a thing yeah here's here's my dumb analogy um so i was raised by a shade tree mechanic we always had some hot rod at some level of being built around my house. But there was always a point when dad had the engine completely done, had the suspension completely done. Maybe not all the bodywork was done. It certainly wasn't a paint job, but because the engine was done, it had to go get ran real hard. <laughs> this is an MCU movie where the engine's done, the suspension's in place. Not everything else is tightened down yet. And so that that's why I can't give it an A+. There's still some stuff hanging off and clanking and not quite you know looking the way it should be. But everything is working already. It, it, all the screws aren't bolted down yet, and everything's tightened up. Every, not everything is completely and totally figured out for what becomes the MCU paradigm. But it works. It works really well. So I, that, that's what got it up from a B. Because at one point, I was down to a B on this. But just it just works. It's very entertaining, and it does what it needs to do very well. That pulled all the way up to an A for me. Well, you, you got to think, though, because I think about halfway through phase two, a lot of those bolts still were not tightened up just right. <laughs> you know, so th- this was yeah. this was a long time coming, I think, really yeah. to get it to the place that we're at now. So yep. and now it's going in a completely different direction. So we'll see. <laughs> <laughs>
completely different direction. We're on the next hot rod. <clears throat> All right, guys, you ready to go fan this thing? David. Graphically novel. Three brothers tackle a different graphic novel each week. Listen as the brothers Fugit discuss classic and not so classic graphic novels. Subscribe now on your podcast feed of choice. Graphically novel. Three brothers who like each other but love comics. All right. Well, I'm first out of the gate, and I've already kind of hinted at mine with my um, uh, grade uh, thoughts and grade section. Um, this thing created a new paradigm um, for what a superhero movie could be. Because if you go back, I mean, even some of the ones that were good, like like Batman 89, it's a solid movie. But there is still, you can kind of get that kind of, you know, you know, stink off of it that people know, like, we're making the superhero movie. Yeah, we know. They're giving us a lot of money. We're going to make it. And Jack Nicholson didn't take it seriously. Um, you know, it's just there's there's points in the movie where like you kind of like they're winking at the camera like yeah we know what we're doing here is ridiculous but we're doing, we're gonna give it our best shot anyway kind of deal. Um, but then like Spider Man got close, um, especially Spider Man Two got really close to just being a good movie that happened to have costumes in it. But there were still things that the creators weren't comfortable bringing in. They weren't willing to go the full. Um, superhero, like weren't willing to go full comic book with it. You think about how they even like tinkered with how like the Green Goblin looked. They weren't willing to do the crazy you know, <laughs> Green Goblin from the comics. And Doc Ock, he was just a guy that happened to have arms. And they kind of sort of did some goggles. They didn't do the haircut. They didn't do the full outfit. They were, they were just uncomfortable. There was that, still that lingering thing. And then there's the X-Men in their weird leather suits. They didn't even do costumes. And so there was that discomfort, you know. And so like even in Batman Begins, so like Nolan, we all love Nolan. We all love the Batman, you know, the Dark Knight trilogy. It's all great. But still, like he was there was that still thing, like, yes, we're making a comic movie, so we're going to give every single aspect of Bruce Wayne's life a justification. Even the little hooks on his gauntlets are gonna have a reason to be there. It can't just be because it looks cool on the costume. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't, they they could not do it. And so this is the first movie they just was making a comic movie. Let's take the stuff from the comic books that works in comic books and let's just film it. The Iron Man suit is the Iron Man suit. Mm-hmm. They have a full-on Iron... I mean, that one of the Iron Man villains, Iron Monger, is there. He looks like the Iron Monger. He's a, he's a comic book villain. And they're unashamed by it. The plot is a comic book plot and they just do it. There's no, there's no shame. There's no stink coming off of it. Nobody's winking at the camera. Only one actor is acting like he's ashamed to be on the set. And they just translated what works in comics to the screen, made little adaptions they needed to make, and just made a comic book movie. And proved that you could do it. Mm-hmm. And just make a good movie. And that it could still be fun. So that, that's mine. They created the new paradigm for what a comic book movie could be. And that okay. wasn't very articulate, but I'm done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's exactly... That's exactly mine. You know, they they made superheroes plausible. <clears throat> they, you know, like I said, with the with the Batman, they tried to make everything so logical, but this one, they just took what was on the page and put it on screen. Now, I was looking uh, through here a little bit. <clears throat> you had Kevin Figgy had been since two thousand, since the first X Men movie, had been producing these things for Marvel Studios. So you see, I I think personally you see he's starting to make these you know because the x-men had some kind of realistic things in it the fantastic four had a few realistic things in it but the year before the very year before this coming in 2008 you had 2007 
and Spider-Man 3, and Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer, and you had X-Men 3 Last Stand, probably three of the worst superhero <laughs> movies all in that year. I mean, so that year really hurt us, but this, <laughs> when Iron Man comes out, it comes out of the gate so strong with this, and, and it's like they had, they had cherry-picked all of those things that work and how to put them together in a movie. And then they learned the things that didn't work from these three. You, know, you don't put a musical number in your <laughs> You don't put, you know, I'm talking to you, Batman and Spider-Man. You don't put, you know, four supervillains in one movie. Yeah. No. It, it's, you know, talking to you, Green Lantern, specifically. <laughs> uh, but, you know, they take those things that worked. And they really, like you said, it was firing on all cylinders. The suspension's in place. The transmission's in place. The the gears are right. The cylinders are sealed. The motor's mounted. Steering wheel works. Let's take this baby for a rock. You know, and all the rest, all we've gotten from 2008 on, it's just different paint jobs. You know, di- different paint jobs. Uh, so that's that's mine. Well, if you think about it, they did exactly what Stan and Jack did. They gave us characters that we could attach to and love. They didn't have to be realistic. They gave us just enough that we could fill in the blanks. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the same thing that Stan and Jack did at the beginning of the Marvel Universe in general. You know, in this movie, it's, okay, here's the armor, and here he is playing around with repulsors, and then he flies. We don't need, you know, all of the technical. Now, as he adjusts his thrust, he can, you know, we don't have to have all of that. We don't have to have the scientific acumen. I mean, Stanton just said, oh, you know, there are gamma rays and gamma rays <laughs> cause this. You know, they were born this way. You know, we, we just accept it at face value. And to me, with starting with this is when they really tapped into what made Marvel great at the beginning. They didn't have to reinvent anything. Mm-hmm. So, all right, but that that's just me kind of talking. But back to my fan. <laughs> all right, here's my fan. Um, and this is why it's an A-plus to me, okay? Growing up, I didn't like Iron Man. Never liked Tony Stark. Never liked Iron Man. Uh, I was a Thor guy. Give me the fantasy elements. Give me that over the tech every time. And I never tell until Jamie is a Thor guy. He laughs. Um What this movie did was make me an Iron Man guy. This isn't the Tony Stark that's in the comics. Tony Stark was not a wisecracking character. He was somewhat dull and boring. I mean, he the demon in the bottle was about the only really interesting story except for Armor Wars. Okay, we get Robert Downey Jr.'s personality becoming the new Tony Stark. And that template for this is now Tony Stark may be an Iron Man guy. And mm-hmm. so if they can take a character that I never liked as a kid and turn him into one of my favorite characters in the MCU, that's why this movie got an A plus for me. See, I was an Iron Man guy and not a Thor guy. And I wouldn't have said dull and boring. I would have said broody and introspective. Dad, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. Well, you know what Mike Tyson says. If you're a Thor guy, you can take some aspirin. 
But you're not wrong. He's not the Tony Stark of the comic books. He is now because it was so awesome in the movies. They went and changed him in the comics. Oh yeah, they they got smart. They're like, man, this works. Let's yep. let, let's let's take this. <laughs> but you know, I think that's really Marvel's strength. Before we move into our pants, I think that's really Marvel's strength. It's a lot of these characters is you get relatable mm-hmm. characters. I mean, yeah, even though Iron Man is a, is a man, he's got some he's got some trouble. He's he's got some demons. He's got some things. Wolverine's dealing with things. You know, Jean Grey's dealing with things. They're all dealing with stuff. DC, you have an alien god and a billionaire. You know, I can't relate. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I'm not sure Bruce Wayne's that much more wealthy than Tony Stark. But he's but he is of the DC characters. Like he is the most flawed of the bunch. Yeah. I think that's why he he feels more like a Marvel character. He feels way. more like a Marvel character. Yeah, every, yeah, and everyone else, you know, everyone else is these alien gods or or you know undersea, you know, super beings and things. You know, you don't have these real human top characters, right? Well, <laughs> I've got to say, wait for us. We're not here to pan DC. Let's pan Iron Man. <laughs> All right, I'm leading off with that. That's thank you, thank you very much. One of the things that uh, I don't I don't know if I'd call it a pan. I really didn't have a lot of pans. Of all the flaws that this movie has, I, I'll, I'll look over them because I love the characters, love the story, love the way it goes. But of all the pans, one of the things that really brought me out and made me chuckle a few times is all of the devices, all of the of era devices. You have Obadiah staying on a Segway. You have, you know, the, the sideways flip phone. You have the digital camera. No, don't change any settings. Don't change any settings. Just take the picture. You know, <laughs> I remember that being such a thing. When you get your settings set that you could get a clear picture on these old digital cameras. Don't touch a button. Just take the picture. Yep. <laughs> don't don't touch anything. Uh, I, I thought that that made me chuckle more than more than a couple times. Um, you know, aside from a few strange acting choices, uh, the the era devices really really caught me. I thought that was funny. <laughs> You know, and it can kind of date the movie a little bit when Tony's yeah. like, don't throw this up on your MySpace. Yeah, your MySpace. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed out loud. Yeah. Yeah, that was one I'd forgotten. Yeah. And yeah. the fact that they're taking the picture with a digital camera and not a phone. And not a phone. Yeah. Think about it, just how much technology itself has even changed since 2008. <laughs> so. All right. Um, as far as my pan, you know, every time I watch this movie, I love it, but there's always one thing I have such a reservation about. I just don't buy Obadiah Stane as the character he is here. Okay? Um, You all may disagree with me, but this mogul-turned-ironmonger, you know, it's not the money aspect. Sure, I buy him as this shady businessman. That works for me. Um, But we don't get a lot of indication about this technological savvy that, that Obi has all of a sudden when he gets the ironmonger suit. You know, I get him a shady businessman selling stuff under the table. I get that. I mean, he even argues with the scientists, you know, well, Tony Stark can do this in a cave, you know, kind of deal. And But Obadiah there at the end comes across as a different. Now, once again, I, and I've said this before, I get it. He works as a villain because it's that personal antagonist. You know, we discussed that with Green Lantern, right? So notice, even though we finished Green Lantern, we always come back to Green Lantern. <laughs> you know, Green Lantern didn't take that approach, that that personal 
kind of antagonist. But Obadiah was that this. It's just that jump from three-piece suit to mech suit that I just can't buy with Obadiah. Yeah, it, it makes the plot leaner and meaner to have him be that focal point all the way through. Mm-hmm. But it, it does make the third act a little weaker because of that. Because you, you just don't buy him. I mean, it's, yeah. it doesn't make sense. Um, okay, mine is the one thing that drives me crazy about this movie. And it's unfortunate. Terrence Howard. Um, he's a fabulous actor. He's, I've seen him blow my mind in other movies. Um, not in every movie, but I've seen movies. I, I know this man has chops. Yeah. I don't know what he's doing in this movie. Uh, not much. That's what he doesn't know what he's doing in this movie. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if he's just miscast or if he's one of those guys like it was a big check. So I'm making this dumb superhero movie. And because he's not doing much here and he's the only person that gives off that, you know, that, that winking at the camera, like, yeah, I know this is dumb, but it was a big check guys. Um, and it's, it's just, it's kind of a drag whenever he's on screen because he is a good actor and he's just not doing much. And he drags down the scenes he's in, in this movie. It's, it's kind of a bummer. Yeah. Um, I think it's also uh, a thing with him. He's overshadowed, I think by Shadell's, portrayal of Rhodey. I mean, because he really buys in 100%. I love Don Cheadle. I think you're talking about John, John uh, Don Cheadle, is that who we're talking about? Don Cheadle, yeah. Why is it John? <laughs> Don Cheadle. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't pronounce it. You threw me for a second. I wasn't yeah. sure what we were talking Cheadle, about. Cheadle, yeah. Is it, is it Cheadle or Cheadle? I don't I don't know. He, but he's, he's a better fit. Don, yeah. yeah, he's yeah. a much better and fit he, for the role. He really buys in, yeah. And there's no, there's absolutely no friendship chemistry between him and Downey like, no. at, at all. Whereas Don Cheadle, the second he's on screen with Tony, like, you buy them. Like these two, you get them hanging out. You can see them being friends. And that's why I laugh every time when this first one, Rhodey goes, next time. <laughs> and I'm like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> not for you. <laughs> I do the same thing every time he says that. I go, nope, nope. not going to happen. <laughs> and I have to do it out loud. <laughs> well guys no matter how much we're painting roadie in this he does have some pretty nice awards on his chest there having that uniform so let's move on to our award section take a trip down memory lane to the old five and dime where sammy aka comic book kid takes a look at the origin of some of our favorite heroes and villains in his podcast, One Thin Dime, focusing on the golden and silver ages of comics when the cover price was just 10 cents. Check him out every week on your podcast feed of choice, One Thin Dime. All right, Sam. All right, I'm going to lead off with our best performance. And, and gentlemen, I really think there's there's one truly right answer here. Now, there's some great performances. Terrence Howard may not be one of them. But Robert Downey Jr. gives us the version of Tony Stark we didn't know we needed. It works on so many levels. Uh, Downey and Favreau built a better Tony Stark. And for me, that, like I said, it made me an Iron Man guy. And, and I loved that about it. Um, obviously, Downey's channeling some of his own personality into the character. 
Uh, but to me, that once again just shows you the genius of casting uh, in the MCU and especially Downey in this role of Tony Stark. Yeah, you're absolutely correct there. Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark uh, delivers a, a really a career defining performance. You know, when you think Robert Downey Jr., you don't think, you know, Dr. Doolittle. You don't think, you know, Sherlock Holmes. You think Tony Stark, Iron Man. I think the pizza guy, but. <laughs> the pizza guy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You know. I mean, he's a, he's a great actor, you know, from, from even back in the day. I loved his turning list at zero. I mean, phenomenal. But, you know, this this really defined him. Yeah, and that's three for three on that one. I mean, and like we already talked about, like, he, he was so good in this movie that they threw away, I'm bad at math, about 40 years worth of comic book history of who Tony Stark is Tony and just Stark tossed it out and said, nope, he's, he's Robert Downey Jr. That's who he is now. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, so it does so. yeah uh so best scene is up next and this one for me is it's easy and it's 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 downy escaping from the cave and what edna edna mode would call a hobo you know mech suit um <laughs> and it's just it's awesome because it's 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 kind of sort of not working all the time like one bullet can mess up like one like belt thing on it so that he can't walk anymore or whatever uh, but it but it works enough. You can see there's power behind it. And you can see when he smacks people, you can see like it, it, there's, there's some real power in what's going on here. And there's those emotional moments with Jensen when Jensen goes off to buy him some time. And then when Jensen mm-hmm. passes, the, the whole deal, and you can see his anger that, you know, Downey is, has changed at least somewhat. It's not just all about himself. Like this you know, Jensen's passing and the, the friendship and the camaraderie they had admit something to him that he just goes off on all the terrorists. And, you know, I just, you know, I just, I love that, you know, that, you know, this guy finally cared about something that wasn't him. Um, But also it's like, it's watching the suit, you know, in its janky stage, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just, I I, I love, I love that whole scene. Hey, speaking of Jensen, did you love the Han Solo homage? Think about it when Han Solo is on the Death Star and he starts chasing after. Oh all yeah, when yeah. he's and, and, he's he's and, the and then he starts to go, "Whoa!" <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. only difference is Jensen didn't run the other way; he got shot. But it's great homage to Han from uh, New Hope. <laughs> yeah, I can't and, those dots. I feel like and very <laughs> interesting callback uh, and call forward, you know, to Iron Man three when you have the uh, the uh, scientific uh, convention in Bern, mm-hmm. where they uh, yep. quote unquote met. Brings um, up straight but, you know, I, I almost done a quiet place situation here <laughs> and picked like the whole first part of the movie, you know, from from the intro in the Humvee to when he escapes the thing, you know, the whole award section, you know, it shows who, who you get to know who he is. I almost did that with my scene, but really a scene that really makes me smile is the test flight uh, with the silver armor when he realizes he can fly. And, you know, he, he starts Jarvis running the numbers and he says, OK, we're going. You know, and Jarvis is like, wait a minute. There are still terabytes of information to process, sir. And he's like, nope, we're going. You know? And and just you feel the joy and the triumph and the freedom of that first flight. You know, and then when he you know tries to land and crashes through the roof, the floor and onto the, you know, hundred thousand dollar car. That hurt me a little. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just flying over him with the uh, 
<laughs> with the repulsors made me yeah. cringe. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it made me cringe a little. But it's this great little things like that in this movie that that make you smile and make you laugh. That yeah. I think some of the hero movies missed early on. They missed the joy of this story. They missed the joy of learning to fly. They missed the joy of saving the world. They missed the joy of I can do something amazing. You know. Yep, I do agree. Well, you know, guys, you, you pulled out some great scenes. You know, this movie truly is a feast for, for nerdy eyes, right? I mean, we, we've, we've made a case for that. You've got mech suits. You've got tech. You've got action. But let's face it. That end credit scene, <laughs> that's the payoff. That's the moneymaker. Not only do we get a direct homage to Brian Hitch's art in The Ultimates, but we get the Avenger initiative as, as every piece of this movie worked. And then we got what's now become a tradition that in credit scene. And I remember the theater erupting and just people cheering as soon as they saw Sam Jackson going to be Nick Fury. You know, this was the inciting incident for the next 10 years of movie making in credit scene is my best scene. Okay, I'm going to interrupt you just for a minute. Who saw this thing in the theater? All three of us. Okay. (laughs) Yep. I did not know the end credit scene was a thing in this, and not being a person who sits through the credits. I know some people sit through the credits. Nobody was. Well, see, well, I, well now, I know that there are some people who do sit through the credits because they're honoring the filmmakers, the people yes. involved in this thing. I know there are people who do that. And it's probably how this thing got discovered. It was either that or people were coming in early for the next movie and then seeing, oh, it's the Avengers Initiative. What? You know, and then, and then, you know, it goes around. But yeah, I, I had no idea it was a thing. So I, I didn't see the incredible scene until it was on DVD. Same. Well, it's me like, and my whole theater walked out. It's like X3. That was the one that, that I missed. And after X3, I was like, I'm going to stick to the end for every one of these movies from now on because I missed something. So, And I didn't know X3 even had it until it was on blue, like a DVD. And I was like, oh, somebody said this is here. So, yeah, you, you, you had Picard in the bed? Yeah. You know, and Moira Taggart and all that stuff they didn't go with. So. <laughs> uh, Dwayne, who's your best character? Best character? I think the only fully developed character in this thing is Tony Stark. Um, you, you don't get a lot of Pepper. You don't get a lot of Happy Hogan. You don't get a lot of Obadiah. Definitely, we've already discussed the situation with Rhodey there. But, you know, what what this movie defined Tony Stark as being, like you said, changing it even in the comics all throughout really established it. I think that was the, the best best character. Uh, you're probably right, but I want to just give a hat tip to another great character. I love Yensen in this movie. I know it's a small role. It's not a lot of screen time, but it's an important role. And the, the performance is really sad. Don't let me say. <laughs> anyway, Yensen, love the guy. See, I went, I went a little obscure on this also. Jarvis, <laughs> this is. Think about this. We've talked about how influential this movie is to the MCU. This is where we get those sublime vocal tones of Paul Bettany, who eventually becomes our Vision, and you know, just the history made. 
right? I mean, it starts here also, and I love it. So wait a minute. Mm-hmm. So much like Star Wars has the robots, R2, and 3PO as their storytellers throughout, the only through piece throughout. So we kind of got Jarvis yeah. throughout the MCU. He's still Vision. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, uh, next up is best quote uh sam what you got all right because of another award we have i went with a more serious best quote okay um you know usually best quotes I, i try to bring the funny uh, and, and once again, I went with some dialogue and, and I went with everybody's favorite Jensen here, but it's that scene. We got to go. Come on, move with me. We got a plan. We're going to stick to it. This was always the plan, Stark. Come on. You're going to see your family. Get up. My family is dead, Stark. I'm going to see them now. It's okay. I want this. I want this. Thank you for saving me. Don't waste it. Don't waste your life, Stark. And that was just such an emotional gut punch from the beginning of this movie that that just turns Tony around. Dang it, Sam. Well, I'm going to jump in because I had bookends. That was the second half of my Jensen bookend. The (laughs) first one is when they're first getting to know each other. And Jensen is asking about, you know, whether he has a family, all that kind of stuff. And so I love... You can tell it, it really impacts Tony too. He says, so you're a man who has everything and nothing. And then that sets up later and tells him not to waste his life at the end. Mm-hmm. I, I love the book end of that. And it yep. feels like that, that really sunk in for the character of Tony Stark. Well, now I feel really bad about my best quote because I went with a funny one. <laughs> <laughs> I got the funny later. <laughs> yeah, I, there's a place for that. Yeah. Well, but I, got, what, I got some of that What's too, a good but. funny? So, yeah, but uh, my my best quote goes with goes with my best scene. You know, just just before there, when he's doing the test, he's flying over the cars and he lands and he says, "Yeah, I can fly." <laughs> <laughs> that's that. Just yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it. All right. Well, now we come to our episode specific awards. Jamie, what do you got? Uh, so this is before the mouse took over. Mm-hmm. And so the mouse has definitely dialed back some behavioral things characters are allowed to do. And so the way that Tony brazenly flirts with a reporter and then takes her home and we see the beginning of the hookup, there is no way the mouse is letting that happen ever again. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, that the MCU does not do that anymore. <laughs> I'm exactly in the same boat on that, Jamie. You know, I always forget that Paramount was one of the studios that kind of started this out. And I think we talked about that a little bit maybe back when we did Captain America. Um, there, there's something a little bit more edgy than the subsequent films once we get to you know knocking on that the door for the house of mouse right uh that that scene i agree with uh, miss brown um you know even obadiah smoking 
I mean, face it, you know, and I know when Wolverine comes into the MCU, he's probably not going to have a stogie anymore. You know, I mean, he's going to chew bubble gum or something. It'll uh, be a nicotine patch and a one and one single joke. Yes. <laughs> how yeah. and, and that's it. Yeah, you because know, you don't see those. Um, I still don't see how they're going to do even a PG-13 Deadpool, but we'll have to wait and see when we get there. But those are things you don't see anymore. Uh, that that little dalliance of, of Tony and the lead up feels more like the scene we got in Deadpool than anything we would have gotten in, you know, in, in another Marvel movie in terms of that. Well, guys, aside from the hookup at the beginning, I thought it would be obvious is what Marvel doesn't do anymore. And they can make a movie without destroying the entire city. <laughs> <laughs> We did have a blue light shooting up into the sky, though. Right. I mean, you had that, <laughs> but, you know, it was just the building. It was just the arc <laughs> reactor. It was not the whole city, you know, being completely demolished. A world, you know, size spaceship crashing onto, you know, a whole town, dropping the whole city. You know, it wasn't as catastrophic as, you know, we have in the future. And, you know, how how the future movies can justify, you know, the world being, you know, not PTSD'd out with these crazy events. Um, This is a lot more realistic, Uh, a lot, a lot more realistic of of a fight, I think uh, between two mechs or whatever, but you know, they don't have to destroy the city every time. (laughs) That's one thing I miss. (laughs) Well, well, I'm going to be honest when the arc reactor explodes and it goes up into the sky, I was waiting for Gozer to come through, but you know, (laughs) Goodness, that's great. Well, next award uh, is our best Tony Snark <laughs> moment. So, uh, Tony, it can be a quite a bit snarky, but uh, I know uh, we've got uh, a lot of uh, funny quotes coming up. But I'm going to take a little, a small section uh, when he's in the uh, when he's in the the fun V after his, <laughs> uh, you know, ex- display of the weapon nature. Excuse me, Jericho. There, he's uh, you know joking with the uh, soldiers, and you know he finds out the one's a female, and he's asking the guy, "Are you seriously raising your hand?" You know, and he's like, "Is it cool to take a picture with me?" It's very cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those those little interactions there is just how full he is of himself. You know how much of just a smart aleck he is, and yeah, I thought that was just a great character defining moments there, and and a lot of fun. Dwayne and I, not Dwayne, I think uh, Sammy and I both have it, the same one. So I think Dwayne, you're the only one's going to stand out. So Sam, you go ahead and say it. Okay. Well, Liz, I've got two or three because I pulled some just in case. Well, I, well, I only have one, so let me go. Okay, you go do your one. <laughs> I, I've even got an honorable mention wow. that's not Tony. So <laughs> There's one for me that is the the biggest, like, emblematic. This is, this is the change <laughs> from old Tony Stark to the new Tony Stark. So he's working on his armor and Pepper comes in and catches him. And he goes, let's face it, this is not the worst thing you've caught me doing. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a really good line. And it tells you so much about who he is, who he's been, and what their relationship is. Yeah. So as far, I do have one honorable mention, but I, I'll go ahead and throw my other one out. And it, and it has to do with Christine Everhart. It has to do with Miss Brown. When she's like, you've been called the Da Vinci of our time. What do you say to that? Absolutely ridiculous. I don't paint. 
<laughs> just that that quick right now i do have to give a tony stark award to one other person that's not tony stark we've mentioned pepper and pepper has one of the best snarky lines in this movie mr stark has me do everything that has to be done including yeah. occasionally taking out the trash will that be all <laughs> yeah that was <laughs> gold like, <laughs> yep, that was that was cold. Yep, that was good. She she got she got that good. She got that good. Well, there is an actor. He's not been in many superhero movies. John Constantine, maybe. We've often tried to cast him in MCU, not succeeded to this point that I'm aware of, unless there's a secret project somewhere. John Constantine, Mr. Anderson, Neo, John Wick, Keanu Reeves, Bill, Ted, something. How does he connect to Iron Man? <laughs> uh, well, he should have been in the Eternals um, because he apparently is one. Um, <laughs> but sometimes there are creative people who have diverse talents. And they give us many hours of entertaining and meaningful storytelling. Uh, I think about people like Ron Howard. To a certain generation, he is beloved as Opie, Andy Griffith, um, whatever his name was on Happy Days. I can't remember it. Richie. Richie, yes. Uh, I remember him from that age from being American Graffiti. I loved American Graffiti. Whatever point that was on when I caught it on TBS, I was watching it to the end. Um, and as a director, he gave us, you know, a lot of great movies. Uh, I know not every podcast thinks that, but uh, Apollo 13, Willow, Solo, Backdraft, and Parenthood starring Keanu, and that's not the connection. But in this movie, in this production, we have another of these people of various talents. Um, John Favreau plays Happy Hogan in this movie. Um, a very entertaining Happy Hogan that we see much more of as the MCU goes on. And we see the greatness that is comedic John Favreau. Uh, he also directed this movie. Um, but we've also seen his talents used in various ways before. He wrote and acted in Swingers. He wrote and directed a lot of The Mandalorian. The Mandalorian exists because of John Favreau. Um, but <laughs> all the way back in 2000, and maybe his most ridiculous part, he played a hypothetically jacked, <laughs> violent, anger-filled linebacker in the replacements in which Keanu plays the quarterback. John Favreau and the replacements are this week's Keanu connection. <gasps> I love John Favreau. He is so great. Everything. Yeah. He, elf also, right? Yes. But yeah, but him, him as a jacked linebacker is pretty hard. It's, it's a, it's a hard sale. They put a big ah. neck roll on the back of the, the pads to make it look like he was bigger. <laughs> That's he hilarious. was not in Chris Evans' medicine cabinet. <laughs> that is hilarious. Well, guys, I hope you have enjoyed our review of Iron Man, this classic beginning to the MCU. Uh, I think uh, that uh, we are going to be having another MCU-ish treatment next time. Jamie, why don't you tell us what that's going to be? Uh, this is kind of MCU-adjacent. Um it's a 
Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. And I, I think it's going to do for animated superhero movies what Iron Man did for live action superhero movies because it's it's using them it's taking what was good about the comics and adapting them to a new medium and and it really works well and i, th- I think that spider-verse and this is i'm it's probably my fan already we're already doing part of the fan section but it it, <laughs> it makes the most of what you can do with animation for that kind of storytelling and it's just a great movie and it makes you love those characters you want to adopt a couple of them and protect them from the dangers of the world out there and you just love this movie and it's beautiful to look at and it's just one of the most engrossing stories i mean i'll tell you right now it passes the phone test no matter how many times i've seen this movie it passes the phone <laughs> test and i just i can't wait to talk about it with my, my fellow nerds cool all right well i know this is a movie we've kind of discussed a little bit on the news uh, here and there but i uh, look forward to getting to it in depth with you guys next week uh, unfortunately this movie is not free anywhere there's rumors of it popping up on disney plus but we're not sure exactly when but uh right now it's available if it's not on your shelf it's available as a rental for 2.99 on most platforms um amazon voodoo uh i think when you get down to apple and fandango it goes to 3.99 but uh if it's not on your shelf it's probably a worthy addition at least drop three bucks on a rental for this thing and as we prepare for next week with the spider verse jamie we're going to spend the week looking for a better mentor than the sweat pantacular Spider-Man as we keep it nerdy. <laughs> <laughs>